Welcome to All Things Cardio-Oncology. This is the podcast of the International Cardio-Oncology Society. My name is Steve Caselli, and I'm the Executive Director for ICOS. It's my pleasure to introduce uh, my co-host today, Dr. Arjun Ghosh. Arjun is consultant cardiologist at Bart's Heart Center and at University College London Hospital. He's the clinical lead of the cardio-oncology service there as well. Welcome, Dr. Ghosh. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Steve. Really looking forward to this podcast. And today uh, we're going to have a conversation with two experts in electrophysiology. So I want to welcome first uh, Dr. Michael Fradley. Dr. Fradley is medical director at the Penn Cardio-Oncology Program. He's also associate professor of clinical medicine at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And Mike serves on the board of ICOS as well. So Mike, thank you for your service there and welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation to participate. Looking forward to it. We also have with us today, uh, Kaveh Karimzad. Uh, Kaveh Karimzad, Dr. Karimzad is associate professor in the Department of Cardiology at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. He is the director of electrophysiology there, as well as the director of cardiac device clinic. So welcome, uh, Dr. Karimzad. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Well, as we begin, uh, we're always interested on this program to learn a little bit about kind of the path that each of you have traveled in order to develop an interest in cardio-oncology. So I wonder if you could just briefly tell us how your interest in the field developed and maybe uh, Dr. Fradley, you could begin. Sure, so um, I uh, became interested in cardio-oncology during my electrophysiology fellowship um, for uh, several reasons. Um, you know, when I was doing my clinical uh, inpatient rotations, I was getting a lot of consults for patients who had cancer and were developing rhythm disturbances. And uh, I began wondering why there was such a large proportion of cancer patients who were experiencing arrhythmias. So from an academic standpoint, that was something that was really intriguing to me. Um, additionally, um, and, and, and this is something that I think we in medicine don't always talk very much about, but during my EP fellowship, I, was, um, I wasn't 100% certain that I um, wanted to, to do classic electrophysiology insofar as, you know, ablating arrhythmias and, and doing the, the very procedural aspects of electrophysiology. You know, a lot of times in medicine, we, we enter down one path and then we just keep going down that path no matter what. And I think this was really an opportunity for me to and think outside the box a little bit and figure out a way that I could bring together components of electrophysiology that I really love, as well as now this newfound interest um, and passion in the field of cardio-oncology. Um, and then I think the third component of it for me, which was a very personal uh, aspect of my, uh, my interest in cardio-oncology was that during my electrophysiology fellowship, I was diagnosed with melanoma and went through certain treatments associated with that. Um, and so it be, kind of opened my eyes to um, 
the, the area of cancer from a clinical standpoint and from a personal standpoint. And so it was an opportunity to bring everything together. Mm, thanks, Mike. And uh, Dr. Karimzak, could you tell us a little bit about your journey to cardio-oncology? Yes, sure. <clears throat> so um, during my cardiology fellowship training about 10, 12 years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to do uh, uh, several uh, cardiology consult and echo rotations at MD Anderson. Uh, in fact, uh, out of uh, three years of uh, cardiology fellowship training, uh, we spent uh, six months uh, at MD Anderson. And uh, at that time, uh, cardio-oncology was relatively a new and uh, emerging field. And I was really impressed by the amazing group of cardiologists uh, at MD Anderson with the main focus on cardio-oncology at that time, about 10, 11 cardiologists working there. And I was also amazed by the volume and the variety of uh, cardiac pathology, uh, both in the consult service, uh, in inpatient, outpatient, and also in the echo lab that uh, these cardiologists were seeing on a daily basis. Uh, I became interested in cardio-oncology during my uh, cardiology fellowship, and I also had a special interest in oncology, uh, which I developed during my internal medicine residency. Uh, when I started uh, looking for a job toward the end of my uh, electrophysiology uh, fellowship training, uh, I was ideally looking for an academic position where in addition to uh, practicing electrophysiology, uh, I uh, would be able to uh, practice uh, other aspects of cardiology, general cardiology, heart failure, and also continue to use uh, uh, the extensive training that we received uh, in ECHO uh, during uh, cardiology training. So uh, for all these reasons, uh, I doubt that uh, MD Anderson would be uh, a perfect uh, fit for me. And at that time, MD Anderson cardiology department uh, had an opening for uh, EP trained cardiologists. My colleague, Dr. Iliasco, uh, who is an interventional cardiologist and uh, established uh, MD Anderson Cat Lab in 2008, also uh, encouraged me to join the group. And uh, uh, that was how I joined MD Anderson as an electrophysiologist with main focus on cardio-oncology. Excellent. Thank you both for sharing that. It's always fascinating to hear kind of people's development in the field. And so today we want to we want to talk a little bit more about the EP field in particular. And Dr. Ghosh has some questions for the two of you about that. Thanks, Steve. Um, so what we want to really explore in this episode of the podcast is the EP issues in cardio-oncology and how we can attract more EP trainees into cardio-oncology and why they should consider it as a career path, just exactly as Mike and Cave have done. So if I could um, start by just asking an introduction to both of you, what do you think the main EP issues are in oncology? Maybe Cave, if you could uh, start us off. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I think this is a question that I probably need to spend a little bit more time. Uh, the unique uh, EP issues uh, in cardio-oncology and uh, um, uh, not in the order of importance, but I will go over uh, four kind of uh, uh, 
uh, issues uh, that uh, I think it's important to mention. Uh, number one, uh, I think, uh, is the management of uh, uh, cardiac implantable electronic devices during radiation treatment. At MD Anderson, uh, we have a cardiac device clinic and uh, we manage on average 15 patients with uh, pacemaker and defibrillators during radiation on a monthly basis. Uh, we've, have, uh, we've been following uh, institutional algorithm uh, in coordination with radiation oncology to, to safely perform uh, radiation treatment uh, in these patients. And obviously in certain situations, uh, device relocation is necessary, uh, which needs to be performed after detailed discussion with uh, radiation oncologists and considering risk versus benefits of different approaches, uh, either uh, lead extraction, device explant, implantation of a new device on the uh, contralateral side, uh, opposite side, or uh, using, using lead extenders and different options. The, uh, the second item uh, I think is uh, worth mentioning is management of uh, cardiac devices during MRI. Obviously working in a cancer hospital, we are seeing more and more patients with uh, uh, CIEDs requiring MRI uh, for their cancer treatment. And uh, to safely perform MRI for these patients, we have developed uh, again an institutional algorithm protocol, uh, and a team of uh, uh, consistent of myself, the radiologist, and device specialist. Uh, on a weekly basis, we manage about eight, 10 patients, eight to 10 patients uh, with uh, cardiac devices undergoing MRI. We manage all sorts of devices, dependent patient, non-dependent, uh, conditional, non-conditional, and we only have a limited number of exclusions criteria like uh, abandoned leads or uh, uh, epicardial leads or devices at ERI. The third uh, item is uh, uh, obviously uh, implantation of pacemaker and defibrillators in uh, cancer patients. I think indications for device implant in cancer patients are more or less the same as general population with some unique features. Uh, thrombocytopenia, neutropenia are major issues in cancer patients uh, uh, requiring device implants. And procedures should be coordinated with a primary oncology team to make sure that procedure performed in the most appropriate time with the least risk for complications, obviously, especially infection. Uh, and also least uh, interruption of the cancer treatment. Uh, and obviously any discussion, any decision uh, about ICD implants should be discussed with oncologists to make sure patient has reasonable prognosis. Uh, the other important options, I think CRT has a unique role in uh, chemotherapy-induced cardiomyopathy with left ponder branch block. This has been well demonstrated in MADID cheek trial, which was published last year. Uh, and and uh, I have had, uh, uh, in fact, in the last eight years I've been uh, in MD Anderson, I had several super responders to CRT uh, in patients with chemo-induced cardiomyopathy with normalization of the EF uh, with CRT. And the last item is the uh, medical and procedural management of uh, different type of arrhythmias and more, most commonly atrial fibrillation during chemo or uh, stem cell transplant, surgery, and et cetera. And really understanding uh, when is the appropriate time to consider ablation 
in these patients and when is appropriate to continue with medical management. And always being aware of uh, different drug-drug interactions when we are treating uh, cancer patients with antiarrhythmics. And, and finally, I think very important issue is uh, managing uh, anticoagulation in, in cancer patients with atrial fibrillation and high chance vascular and the risk of bleeding uh, due to different uh, issues, cancer, thrombocytopenia, or uh, patients who've been treated with abrutinib, we know that uh, it can cause AFib, and also it has antiplatelet properties, so kind of simultaneous use with anticoagulation with increased risk of bleeding. What is the role of, uh, for example, left atrial appendage closure with Watchman in this patient as a long-term kind of strategy uh, for prevention of thromboembolic event. So uh, I think, uh, sorry, it took a little bit of time, but I think these are the main issues uh, uh, in regard to EP practice in cardio-oncology. No, thanks, Kavi. I think that's a very comprehensive list of um, many of the different uh, problems that EP doctors uh, may face or their EP issues. Uh, Mike, did you have anything to add? No, I think that that really, I think, covers all of the, the key components. I think that, um, as Kaveh had pointed out, you know, you can see that it really encompasses the uh, entire spectrum of electrophysiology. And I think that it really underscores the fact that there's opportunities from a clinical standpoint, there's opportunities from a procedural standpoint, and then there's even opportunities from uh, a research standpoint, both uh, clinically and uh, at the more basic and translational science level. So, you know, I think that there's opportunities for electrophysiologists who are, you know, who, who run the gamut of interests. Great, thanks, Mike. And I think one of the issues that we see in the field of cardio-oncology is that it probably attracts a lot of people from a background of heart failure and imaging. And this is both as consultants and as trainees. So just so that there are that many uh, doctors like yourselves, EP specialists who are involved in cardio-oncology, um, maybe Mike, if you could start us off. Sure. I think that you know you're you're definitely um, you know correct that many people have approached cardio oncology either from the heart failure or the imaging standpoint, and I think that that is because many of the problems that we originally identified in cancer patients were uh, primarily myopathic, but as the field has grown and as the treatments have evolved, we're recognizing that there are a variety of additional cardiovascular effects that these cancer therapies can have, uh, arrhythmic, vascular, et cetera. And because of that, it's really important to have experts who understand uh, arrhythmias managing these cancer patients. It's important to have experts who understand coronary and vascular disease managing these patients. So it's really not just a, a, a heart failure or an imaging specialty any longer. And we really need this complete multidisciplinary approach to cardio-oncology um, in order to provide the most optimal care to our patients. We need the heart failure experts. We need the, the arrhythmia experts. We need the vascular experts. Great, thanks Mike. And uh, Kaveh, uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think as Mike uh, mentions, I think it's, it's completely natural that 
cardiology attracts uh, more cardiologists with heart failure and imaging background. Uh, I mean, historically, cardiology started with dexorubicin-induced uh, cardiomyopathy, and bulk of cardiology practice uh, is really management of heart failure, chemo-induced, uh, stress-induced cardiomyopathy, uh, immunotherapy-mediated myocarditis, and etc. And also uh, the role of echo and MRI in uh, cardio-oncology uh, is completely uh, clear to uh, everybody. Uh, and, and there are multiple challenges um, in regard to performing uh, for, for EP-trained or interventional trained cardiologists. There are multiple challenges uh, in regard to performing uh, procedures, especially EP procedures in cancer patients. But, but I think as the field is growing, uh, we are learning more and we are becoming more comfortable uh, doing these procedures and, and uh, uh, especially uh, performing them at the appropriate time to minimize the uh, risk uh, and coordinating uh, also very closely with the oncology team. Okay, thanks, Harry. And I think what we'll do now is maybe try and focus on two areas. One is how we can bring more EP trainees into cardio-oncology. And then also maybe after that, just try and understand how established EP doctors may uh, join their local cardio-oncology or may study cardio-oncology service from the EP point of view. So if we start with the trainees first, um, if I could ask both of you, you know, what should you as EP leaders in cardio-oncology be telling your EP trainees that, you know, come and join me in cardio-oncology, you know, wh why, should, why should they do it? Uh, if I could start with you, Mike. Well, I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity for, for growth and a lot of opportunity to really define uh, your career and your career path in, in this area because there aren't a lot of individuals who have this interest in both cardio-oncology and electrophysiology. So, um, you know, you can really uh, kind of forge your own path. And I think that there's something exciting uh, to be said about that. Um, but I also think that, you know, as, as we all know, representation matters. And if fellows don't see individuals doing this, it's hard for them to uh, recognize that this is a viable career path. So ensuring that those of us that are both electrophysiologists and cardio-oncologists are, are visible, are, you know, are, you know, being a part of the different uh, electrophysiology meetings, the different um, uh, electrophysiology societies that the journals are publishing papers about cardio-oncology and that those editorial boards recognize that there's importance in these, uh, in these topics. All of that is going to really help to encourage the fellows and the trainees to become more involved and get excited and recognize that there are these opportunities that exist. Thanks, Mike. And Kaveh, what do you think the best way is to get your EP fellows involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mike touched upon uh, very important uh, uh, issues, but uh, uh, I will basically tell to EP trainees uh, to entice them to do uh, get into cardio-oncology that this is a really growing and evolving uh, field with 
really unbelievable growth uh, over the last 10 years, and it will continue to grow in the near future. And I think as uh, more and more uh, cardiologists uh, get involved in cardio-oncology, there would be a need for expert opinion of electrophysiologists in regard to medical or procedural management of cancer patients with different cardiac rhythm issues. And, and familiarity uh, with cardio-oncology is uh, absolutely necessary uh, for uh, EP-trained uh, physicians to be able to really appropriately manage these patients and also effectively uh, communicate uh, with the referring physician. Uh, so um, I think that's uh, important for EP-trained uh, doctors to uh, consider involvement in cardio-oncology in the future. Sure, and given the increasing uh, awareness about cardio-oncology and the increasing awareness of how cardio-oncology treatments affect heart from the rhythm side and the EP side, do you think that the general cardiology training program should have more formal cardio-oncology to it? And also, how can the advanced EP training program uh, get cardio-oncology as part of the curriculum? I mean, should that happen or should it only be for selected uh, people who are interested in cardio-oncology? Uh, maybe, Mike, if I could start with you. I, I agree. I think that we do need to, to think about ways to more formally incorporate cardio-oncology into the training curriculum, both for general cardiology fellows, but then also the electrophysiology fellows. Um, I think that that is really the first opportunity for many of these individuals to, um, you know, to learn about and experience this patient population. And I think in the electrophysiology world, it's incredibly important because these patients are, are living longer. Many cases, they're surviving their disease and they're going to be the patients that electrophysiologists are seeing and treating. And so the electrophysiologists are going to need to have some understanding about the complexities of cancer patients and cancer treatments so that they can be better equipped to appropriately manage their patients. Great, and uh, Kabe, I suppose you must uh, echo those thoughts as well. Yes, absolutely. I think, uh... With increasing uh, number of cancer patients who require cardiac care, uh, it's important for all cardiologists to have some knowledge of cardio-oncology in the near future. And, and that's why I think including cardio-oncology in cardiology fellowship curriculum would be very beneficial. And the same thing with EP, but it probably would be a little bit more challenging uh, uh, for uh, EP uh, fellowship to be exposed to cardio-oncology. I think realistically, uh, this is only possible in uh, large academic institutions uh, who have a cardiology, a cardio-oncology program and reasonably large number of cancer patients uh, requiring cardiac rhythm management. And uh, I think this potentially can be done uh, by uh, um, uh, educational conferences, uh, by cardio-oncology group or uh, earlier referral uh, to EP uh, for uh, cardiac rhythm management of these patients. Great. So I think 
uh, Kaveh and Mike, you both mentioned that during your EP training, you were exposed to a number of uh, cancer patients and that helped grow your interest. So if there's an EP trainee who's listening, who does have an interest in kind of getting more information about cardio-oncology or training in some of the EP aspects of cardio-oncology, what is the, the best option they have to try and see what's available locally or to come and do fellowships with you guys? Right. Mike, if you could start us off. Well, I think that the the first, uh, really the first thing that a trainee can do is probably to to reach out to individuals that are uh, involved in cardio oncology um, and you know start learning a little bit about it from from those individuals. It is uh, challenging, I think, to find um, the resources uh, for. Uh, cardio oncology and electrophysiology in the majority of settings, um, as, as Kaveh pointed out. So I, I think that the first step, truthfully, is that if a, a trainee has interest, it's sort of incumbent upon them um, to, you know, reach out to, to individuals to develop mentoring type relationships, and then they will oftentimes help to guide them and give them the right resources to, you know, further develop and grow their career. Great, thanks. And uh, Kaveh, what's your opinion? Yes, I absolutely uh, agree with uh, Mike. Uh, but I think uh, also think that the best way for uh, either a EP consultant, EPS specialist, or a EP fellow to get involved into uh, cardio oncology is to uh, establish uh, relationships with uh, cardio oncologists in the institution, uh, and and uh, they can do this through. Uh, as I said, educational conferences, uh, scientific sessions, uh, uh, getting in touch with uh, other cardio-oncology groups, uh, and also uh, uh, trying to uh, refer patients with uh, rhythm issues earlier uh, to EP groups and not just waiting until the patient only needs some kind of procedure, but uh, also medical management of rhythm issues. Uh, and uh, as I said, it's, it's completely feasible uh, in, in academic institutions or hospitals with cardio-oncology programs, but it would be a little bit more challenging uh, in community hospitals. Sure. And Kaveh, if I could start uh, the last question with you. If there's an established EP consultant who's listening to the podcast who does come across cancer patients and is maybe thinking about uh, some form of more formal EP consult service for these cancer patients, what would be the, the best way to, to approach this? And I suppose it would depend if it's an academic center versus a community hospital. But uh, Kaveh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think, uh, I think more or less like the previous questions, like the main issue, uh, I think, is establishing a relationship between a EP group uh, or EP specialist and a cardio-oncologist uh, in that hospital. Uh, and uh, um, also improving uh, cardio-oncology knowledge uh, through participation in either national or international cardio-oncology conferences and scientific sessions, uh, for example, in ACC, AHA, uh, HRS, even HRS, I think last year and this year, they started having sessions in cardio-oncology. And, and, and also, they can certainly uh, communicate with 
uh, electrophysiologists who are practicing cardio-oncology like me or Mike, they can communicate with us directly. And I would be happy to discuss about any uh, unique features of EP practice in, in this field. Thanks, Kevin. Mike, I know you have experience of setting up cardio-oncology services, but from a specific EP point of view, what advice would you have to uh, an established EP doctor who wants to get involved in this way? Yeah, I, I agree with, with everything that, that Kaveh said. And, and I think that, um, you know, if you're an established electrophysiologist um, and you're developing this interest in, in cancer patients, you know, it's important to you know, develop relationships with the cardio-oncologist either at your institution or in your, your relative local area or you know, even more broadly if there isn't anyone close by um, to really just sort of talk through these cases and, and get uh, their opinions and, and their perspectives. You know, I think that you can approach this uh, in two ways. You, know, you can be a cardio-oncologist who does electrophysiology you know, and in that respect, I mean somebody whose entire focus is cardio-oncology and they see the gamut of all diseases and then they also have this additional electrophysiology training and passion. Or you can be an electrophysiologist who does cardio-oncology so that you're really your primary focus is EP, but then you happen to have this sort of side interest in cancer patients and the management of cancer patients. So I think as an electrophysiologist, you don't have to devote every aspect of your life to taking care of cancer patients, but you can absolutely develop a career in which cancer patients become a significant part of your, uh, of your treatment population and a, a significant part of your uh, academic and uh, professional interests. And so reaching out, having conversations, meeting with people and developing relationships is really the key, uh, I think, to developing a successful career. I think in summary, both of you really have explained the number of different issues in can patients and how, as an EP trainee, there's a lot of scope to develop their own practice with a wide variety of issues to get involved with from the clinical side and, and the research side as well. Um, so, uh, Mike Cave, could I just have your, your last one pitch to the EP community, why they should get uh, involved more in cardio-oncology. Uh, if I could have your pitch, please, Mike. I think that this is an incredibly uh, gratifying uh, population to take care of. Um, you know, it's, it's really an in incredibly, um, it's really, I think, an incredible uh, opportunity to get to know these patients and to help be at least a small part of their journey to um, uh, journey through cancer. So I think from that standpoint, um, you know, it, it really is an incredibly rewarding experience. Um, I think also it is an opportunity to really kind of define your career and your career goals. And there's a lot of, of potential for, for growth and for investigation as well for the, the newer, younger electrophysiologist. So there's no question that you will have an incredible experience, um, both clinically and academically with uh, cancer patients and uh, arrhythmias. Great. And Kave, your last final one-line pitch to get more EP people involved in cardio-oncology, please. 
Yes, sure. I think uh, this is a fascinating field and uh, and there is room for uh, EP involvement in cardio-oncology. There are many different uh, ways that uh, electrophysiologists uh, can help these patients uh, going through their cancer treatment. And, and I think that's ultimately the goal uh, to get these patients uh, um, uh, to get through them to cancer treatment and also uh, uh, in survival uh, kind of uh, uh, continue to manage the different uh, electrophysiology issues in these patients. Uh, so I think it's a very interesting field uh, and their uh, potential for significant growth in the near future. Great. Thanks so much, Kave. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Mike and Kave, for your thoughts on EP and how we can attract more EP docs into cardio-oncology. I'll hand over to my co-host, Steve, now. Yeah, thank you both for this discussion, and thank you for your work, and really appreciate <clears throat> from both of you your emphasis on patient care. That's really the end game for us, isn't it? So Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for being pioneers in this particular area. And we really appreciate your time today. I just want to close by reminding our listeners that if you want more information about cardio-oncology generally, you can go to our website, ic-os.org, and there's a number of activities and opportunities there. And coming up in May, on May 22nd, we will be offering our certification exam in cardio-oncology. And under the resources tab, you can find information about that exam. So thank you all for your time today. We really appreciate it, especially uh, Kabe and Mike. Thank you for uh, just inspiring us in your work. Thank you.